struck me this year <clears throat> as I've just interacted with a lot of people is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of things as aspects of our faith that, that people can kind of get and see and just take into their own worldview and, and say, you know, okay, I can kind of see how that makes some sense and so on. But one of those things that, that just continues to be this sort of stumbling block to, to others is, is this idea that God himself comes in human flesh and that for to die for our sins, to rise again, to bring us and raise us to eternal glory. It is a, a stumbling block to many. It's, I think for us who've grown in the church, it's hard to, for us sometimes to see that. Because we're so used to hearing it. And I want to kind of help us see afresh the, how weird that may sound, actually, to people who are not familiar with our faith. And to see some of the challenges that it has to people coming and understanding what our faith is, and so that we can better appreciate how we might minister to those outside of us, and then also have appreciation for the wonder of what we actually have. Because it's not only a stumbling block, but it's a cornerstone. The, thing, the very thing that causes many to stumble is also the thing on which we build our lives. It's the fact that, that when we would not seek God, God come, came and sought us in an extraordinary way by becoming a human being, while still remaining God. It's an astonishing thing. And so that's what we want to consider. And we're going to do that looking at how this, this, um, this truth um, came to bear on the people that Jesus interacted with in the book of John, the gospel according to John, the story of Jesus as John wrote it, and, and according to what he had seen and heard and testified to. So we're going to look at a variety of passages over the course of, of this month, and we'll actually conclude this series on January 1st, which will be our, our, our Lord's Supper Sunday, and we'll begin the new year in church. John 6 is today, and we'll be reading from verses 25 through verse 51. So Jesus had, had just done the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes to feed 5,000 men besides the women and children. And he had showed his disciples his power over nature by walking on the water and calming another storm. And then he ends up on the other side of the lake and there the people find him and we can see the conversation that ensued. So let's listen to God's holy word. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. <coughs> Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gave you the, gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, what a wondrous word this is, full of much mystery and power and glory. And we pray, O Lord, that we might be able to see that through the imperfect imperfection of ourselves and the speaker. Show the perfection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may he be glorified in our lives. And may we, we be renewed in a vision of the glory of his coming, and that he might be praised by how we lift him up in our, by our faith and by our words of praise, and it's in his name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> We're a people who hunger and thirst a lot. We just want to keep eating, uh, and eating and eating and eating. I like what uh, one comedian said, is, is that even vacations are just an excuse to eat in a different place. We just go and we eat, and so we get a snack, and then we get lunch, and then we get another snack, and we just keep eating and eating and eating. And that's just part of human life. But you know, it goes beyond just food. We have a hunger and thirst for all sorts of things. We want to have everything. We want to have all sorts of friendships. We want to have all sorts of activities, and we want to have rest. We want to be able to go places and enjoy our home. We want to be able to work it all the time. And we also want to be able to make more money. And we also want to be able to take vacations. We also want to be able to do stuff with our family. And a lot of these times, these things are in total conflict. And it leads to a lot of frustration. Because we have a hunger and thirst for so much. We want to experience so many good things. Sometimes it leads us just to just sit kind of and do nothing. Because we don't know how to get the things we want. And we just struggle with it or sit there and we could become passive even in the face of all these desires that we have now that's not let's say not always totally bad let's recognize this um the fact that we we desire and hunger so much and with the fact that we want so much 
oftentimes can open up new ways of doing things, new ways of seeing things, new ways of providing for things that allow for humans and civilizations to flourish and allow us to do things that we never do before. But in other ways, it may, our continual hunger and thirst can cause us to miss those things that can truly satisfy us. It's easy for us to just live by looking for the things that we want that we don't have yet and not seeing the good of the things that we already have. It's easy for us to miss the blessings that are already there. And it's easy for us to miss that which is most important for us and that which can satisfy us to the greatest degree. And that's what the people in this passage were in danger of doing. They were focused on seeing something that they thought they, need, they wanted for their satisfaction, and they missed that which could truly satisfying, satisfy them. And indeed, what could actually satisfy them not only became the, something that they missed, but something that, that positively offended them and caused them to turn away from what actually could satisfy them. And so that's what we want to see so we can understand how we might truly find that life, that blessing, that which can truly satisfy us. And so let's consider from this passage how the misunderstand, there's a misunderstanding of Jesus. And then see how Jesus shows the correct understanding of Jesus. And then we'll look at how there is hope for understanding Jesus. So first of all, the misunderstanding of Jesus. Now, Jesus confronts them the people in this day, with a, a rather astonishing claim. He tells them in verse 33 is that there is a bread that comes down from heaven that gives life to the world. And so they said to, the, said to Jesus, give us this bread. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, I am that thing or that person that can truly satisfy you such that you won't need anything else. That seems like a rather astonishing claim, doesn't it? I mean, if if someone says that to you here today, you should be very cautious about that relationship. If I say, I am the only thing you need and you need nothing else. That is an astonishing claim. We're going to look at it more in depth as we go through. But what I want to point out to you is that when Jesus said this, they also thought it was kind of crazy. Look at what happens in verse 41. It says, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they asked, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? In other words, we know this guy, we know who he is, we know where he came from. So how in the world could any human say, I'm the bread that came down from heaven, let alone that bread which can satisfy everybody in the world and give them everything they need? That seems extraordinary. And so what they did not see was the greatness of Jesus. They saw something else. And to understand that, let's go back to the beginning of this conversation. Remember, Jesus is now on the other side of the lake. They all come to meet him after he has already fed them with the the loaves and the fish, and done a miracle that is truly astonishing. And and so they say, when did you get here? And Jesus says to them, I tell you, you're looking for me, 
Not because you are interested in me, but because you ate food and had your fill. And so he says, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for food that perishes, and you should be looking for the food that leads to eternal life. You should not work for that bread, but you should work for the bread that's going to last forever. And so they said, well, tell us what's the work we're supposed to do to get this bread. And Jesus said, and Jesus says to them, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. And so he tells them how to experience this bread of life. It's putting faith in the one he sent, which is, of course, himself. And so they said to him, and, and they said to them, instead, what can you do to show us that you're really the one we should believe in? How about make some bread? <laughs> in other words, they say, remember, God gave bread in the wilderness. How about give us some bread and then we can know that you're the one that we're to believe in. And so you see, their, their sights were continually set, not on Jesus and his greatness, even though he had just showed them that he could multiply the loaves and fishes. They got their sights on what he provided rather than the provider, which is the one who's able always to provide the things that we need. They had their sights set on the bread of the earth, and so they missed the greatness of the one who provides all bread. They were setting their sights, in a, in a sense, too low. And in some ways, whenever we want something in this world and we let it take over our heart, it's in part because we're setting our hearts, our sights too low. We're wanting less than what God has for us. Because he, what he wants to give us is himself. And that's so much more than any of the things we want. But how many of us are distracted by the things that are less than what, what God wants to give us? How many of us fall into the same trap where we are seeing the bread of the earth and missing the bread of the heaven? You know, I think about one of the things I, I saw as, as my life began to develop. I was interested to see the kids that I'd grown up with in church and my Christian school, and to see, um, you know, which, how, they, how they did with the faith and whether they would continue in the faith they had heard or how it would take hold. And one thing that has encouraged me is that I've been thankful to see how many have continued in the faith and to see how many people are, are still walking in the ways of the Lord. But I also saw many people just kind of um, walked away. And why did they walk away? It wasn't a lot of times because they, they saw that, that they had come to some intellectual problem that they couldn't solve or, or they, they, they had some issue with the, the church or they even had uh, some, some personal problem. It was, it was oftentimes more just they got involved in the world and that just kind of took over and they left behind the things of the Lord. And, that, and so the, as Jesus says in the parable, the riches and cares of this world choked out the seed of faith. And that's what can happen to us as well. And indeed, though, we have to admit that as we go out into the world, we also encounter a misunderstanding of Jesus that has trouble seeing his greatness. It might be a little bit different. The, Jesus says he's the bread that come down from heaven that gives life to the world. But when the world thinks, the world in which we live in, especially in our country and in the West, thinks about Jesus, they see often just another man. And to think of a man as being someone who existed beforehand and come down 
from heaven and then is the one who is the salvation of the world is really something that is way outside of a lot of their experience. It just seems like something that's sort of crazy and out there. And indeed, what I said to us is we need to be able to step into this if we're going to be able to communicate to people in our day. We need to recognize that just as it was strange for people to hear Jesus, this man, say, I'm the bread that come down from heaven that gives life to the world, so it's going to be strange for people in our day. And again, just step back for a second and imagine that I said, I existed from before the foundation of the world and God sent me into this world to bring salvation to this world. If anyone, any pastor says that, you're going to run from him faster than you should run from Jim Jones because he is crazy, right? Or else just trying to manipulate you and get something out of you. It's the sort of claim that is just so seems so far out there. And that's what people... So people a lot of times don't even hear that. And so when they think of Jesus, they might think, oh, this is just another man. This is just another man who teaches or did good things. And yet, when Jesus comes, they don't even see what he's claiming. And so let's look at it a little bit more closely and see what is Jesus really claiming about himself. And so let's look at the correct understanding of Jesus. So one of the things that's clear from this whole passage is that Jesus says that he's not someone who just began to exist when he was born. He already existed before he was born. And he was actually sent into this world in order to be born and to become a human being. He says that he is the the bread that came down from heaven. And verse 38 says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. He came down from heaven. He already existed He was in heaven, he came down, he was born, that's how he became a man, and now he exists in this world. So he's someone who existed before he was born. And this is an astonishing claim. Again, it's sort of the thing that someone says that, I existed long before, we might start talking about reincarnation, or we might start start talking about, what are you talking about? We just think people are strange for saying this. Jesus was saying that he didn't just begin to exist in time. He had a relationship with the Father. He knew the Father, and he was sent into this world. But why he was sent into this world is even more astonishing because Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Now, how do we understand that Jesus is the bread of life that gives life to everybody in the world so that anybody can eat and drink of this bread and be satisfied forever such that that is the true thing that they need and nothing more? We'll go back to his conversation. When they talked about the bread from heaven, he, he says, he, they said, Moses gave us this bread. And Jesus points out to them, he said, Moses didn't give you this bread, it was God who gave you this bread. And what he's pointing them to is the fact that God is the one who provides for us everything we need. And when we have a relationship with him, we have everything that satisfies us because he has infinite love, he has infinite resources, And so if you've got him, you don't need anything else because he can give you everything that you need. If you're with him, then you have everything. But then Jesus goes on to say that he is the very one that they can look to like they look to God and get everything that they need. He says this repeatedly in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
And in verse 40, he says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So in other words, anybody who looks at me, says yes to me, gets to live forever in eternal blessedness. Again, a rather astonishing claim. And then he says, in verses 47 through 50, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. So I'm bread that comes down from heaven. You can eat this bread and you will not die. You will live forever and experience perfect happiness and blessedness. And finally, he says this, I'm the living bread that come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. Anybody else makes this claim when we say this is a person we're going to run from. This is a person who is crazy or trying to manipulate me. Jesus, though, is totally different. He makes these claims, and yet he's someone that we can't dismiss them as someone who's crazy or someone who is trying to manipulate us to get something. His words have a power that even his enemies admit they have. And so it's what we're stuck with is this amazing statement that the one who says he comes down from heaven, that he can satisfy our deepest longings, actually presents them in such a way that we say, this could really be true. This could really be true. And so if it is true, then of course Jesus is God himself coming to this world. And really that's the only explanation that makes sense. No human except a crazy or evil one could make this claim, but Jesus is clearly not crazy or evil. And that's what has struck people throughout the ages. And that's why we need to allow people to hear the story of Jesus. Sometimes we wonder, how can we convince people to be Christians? Well, in some ways, we just need to present them to Jesus and let them see him for who he is in both the the clarity and wisdom of his thought, but yet also the, the, the magnificence of his claims and let people see for themselves. One person who did that is a person who helped me in my, in, in my early years, my teenage years. His name is Josh McDowell. I had a lot of questions about the Christian faith when I was growing up. I, I was not one who was just going to take things and just say, just because I heard it, therefore I'm going to believe it. I wanted to look into it myself. And so I read uh, a lot trying to think through the challenges that people bring to the faith. And one person that helped me, as I said, was Josh McDowell. And Josh McDowell was a person who grew up with a lot of ambition, and also with a lot, he was a very intelligent person. He was uh, studying, he wanted to be a lawyer, and he, but he also was an atheist, and he didn't believe in God, and he looked at Christianity sort of as like a crutch for the weak. But one thing they, they said in, in uh, one of his biographies, an article he wrote about his life and his testimony, was that he also was seeking after joy. And one thing that really surprised him is when that he was in college, that he met a group of people who just showed some kind of unnatural amount of joy. And he's like, why are these people so happy? And he found out that they were Christians. And then when, he, and when they, he, he, they told him that, he said, well, why would you do that? I mean, it just seems crazy. Why would anybody believe in Christianity? And so what they did is they challenged him, and they said, well, why don't you look into it for yourself? 
and see what you think. And so that's what he did. And so he, he went and he studied all over. He actually took time out of college and went to libraries in Europe because they didn't have Google Books at that time. And uh, he studied all these things and he was like, he was amazed. He was like, no, this is far from being something that is, is not, uh, that is, has no basis. It's just something that people grab onto because they want to. This is firmly rooted in historical reality and withstands the best historical evidence. And he wrote a book called The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But the interesting thing is, even after he came to that intellectual apprehension, he really wasn't ready to take the plunge and commit himself to Jesus. It took him a while. But then eventually the Lord broke through. And the main thing was that he saw that Jesus, in the words of the title of one of his book, was more than a carpenter. He wasn't just another guy working who decided to preach and teach. He was actually more than a carpenter. Indeed, he was the creator of all carpenters. And that's what he was convicted by when he looked at this evidence. And that's what I think that uh, we should consider as well and encourage people around us to take a look into as well. Now, what is the hope that we have that people will understand Jesus? No doubt you've tried to share Jesus before, and you see many people who don't believe. Josh McDowell is one. But what hope do we have for people understanding Jesus? Well, I want to I show you this from the life of Jesus, then apply it to ourselves. Because what is clear here is that Jesus was facing a bunch of people who didn't believe in his claim that he was the bread of life come down from heaven. But did that discourage him? Did that discourage him from going forward? No, he was not discouraged. And you know why? Because Jesus was working, but he also knew his father was working. And here's what he said in verse 37. He says, All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. In other words, it's not just my words here. It's the Father who is working who's going to bring people to me. And then as he says in verses 44 through 45, he says, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. And what Jesus Jesus is saying there is that it's not just the outward teaching. It's that the Father also is teaching inwardly and drawing people inwardly. And he's also teaching them inwardly so that they'll get something that they might not have been able to embrace otherwise. That even if they see the evidence, like Josh McDowell, they might not embrace it inwardly until the Father draws them, teaches them, and gives them to the Son. And moreover, the the Son is encouraged that once the Father has given them to the Son, that He will keep them forever. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And so, he could share with others, and he could tell about who he was, knowing that it would have an effect, because the Father was working to bring people who might otherwise not accept his claim, to be willing to accept his claim, because they were taught inwardly and moved inwardly by the Father to come to him. And so that's the same encouragement that we should have in our day. We should not be discouraged by what we see in this world. But we should recognize that when we go out and we talk about Jesus, especially this time of year when it's like right there, he's right there, 
especially in our county, right? Uh, I mean, it, we have the opportunity to talk about Jesus. It's not like some, something that we have to bring into the conversation. It's Christmas. It's what it's about. But remember, the Father is already working. The Father is already working. And that, and that as we share this story, we'll see that the Father is bringing people to himself. And what that means is we shouldn't look at anybody, really, and say, you know, I can't see how I could convince them, and so therefore I'm not going to share. Because it's not just up to us. It's the Father who is also working. If it was just our words, nobody would come. It has to be the Father working through us. We have a part to play, but it's a part under the Father. But that should encourage us to join the work that God is already doing in bringing people to the Son. This should also give us patience as we work through it. You know, it's, I remember often in my, life, in my life when I was trying to convince people of a certain point of doctrine and the truth of Christianity, I get so mad that when people wouldn't accept my opinion and, and, or my view or even the, the truth, let me say that. And, and, but, but looking at this, we say, why, why would I be upset like that? My role is to share. It's not to, to I'm not the one who say, they, no one comes unto Jesus unless I draw them. Uh, all who I give to Jesus will come. No, it's all who the Father gives. I have a role, but it's under the Father. And that role is to share and to reflect in the way that I share the love that Jesus himself has shown to me. And so we should be encouraged to share with those who need. And any one of us should also be encouraged that the Father is saying, Jesus is saying today that he is the bread of life. That all the things that we think that we need, all the things that we're concerned about, which can be good things, which can be things we want to enjoy, are not the things that truly satisfy us. We need to move beyond and above them to a Heavenly Father. And what Jesus is saying is that it's available. That's the meaning of Christmas, is that that which brings us eternal happiness in God Himself is now available through the, the eternal God who became a baby in the manger, grew up, suffered, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. And that is available. All we have to do is to say we want to have that relationship with you or we live in harmony with you and that we accept the gifts that you give us and now we'll walk in your ways by your grace. And that's it. That's all you have to do. And then we can have that forever. That's the glorious message of Christmas. So we should also not be discouraged because the fact is we have been made to know it. You know, so many people in this world still have not heard what the story of Christmas is all about. But how many times have you heard it? How many times have I heard it? So many times that perhaps we just gloss over it. We miss the wonder of it. But I think it's good to step back and say, what if I had not heard it? What, why should I have heard it? Did I merit that I would hear it more than anybody else? No. Indeed, I've disqualified myself from that innumerable times. Did I merit that I would be able to come unto Jesus? No. It's the gift of His grace. Did I merit that I would be restored unto Him? Did I merit eternal happiness? No. It's all from Him. And it's all a gift. And we need to step into that and let that encourage us. That in spite of what we deserve, in spite of our continually disqualifying ourselves from it, often on a a daily basis, God has continued to be faithful to us. He's continued to bless us with us. He's continued to give us this message again and again and again. That is the life of our soul. 
that when all else fails, that we know that we have, a, a, we have the bread from heaven that can truly satisfy us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thus may it be. Amen.